We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This thing on? See, now I'm getting mad. Because it's getting ready to be on. I want my whiskey to bite me a little bit. This is the kind of psychopath that I hang out with. I got beat up outside of a Denny's. The Rockpile Report. With Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. He likes to get in Max's nose. Something I can't do with this podcast because I drink too much. Chris Kruger. My rollerblading blonde mohawk producer. The pettiest, hardest drinking Bills podcast. I'm an adult. I know what I'm about. I love him. That's my guy. What the media has blown this so far out of proportion, right? Like we we are in rookie or mini camp. We're not playing a game for four months. He doesn't show up one day. He's still there. You know, coach asked him to to go home. We were in talks and discussions of trying to trying to resolve some things, and it wasn't anything major. And media just blew it up. They're still talking about it. Like, mm-hmm. Let it go. Let it go. There's there's no reason to continue talking about it. He's on the field with us the next day. You know, we're it was not a big deal. And I see an article over at Pro Football Talk that says uh, it, it poses the question: After Daniel Snyder sells the Commanders, what's next for him? And I'm not going to lie to you, the first thing that came to mind is, do you think we could get him into a sub to see the wreckage of the Titanic? Like, do you think he has any interest in this? Well, he has a, we know he has a yacht that he likes to go to Italy, so, so you wait, know, who knows? Wait, whoa, 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 whoa. Are you thinking what I'm thinking? Yacht in European waters, large vessel, sinking of the Lusitania, we just I'm with, to, that's that's where we're going, man. Who can we pin this on? We just need to write the guy on the right guy on board. Who who the question is, who would we pin it on? Like to what benefit? Like if if we're gonna sink this thing like the Lusitania, there's gotta be a fall guy. Who do we make it? Oh, there's gotta be somebody willing to take the fall for it. So there, there, out of all the people who hate that guy, I me I, I'm probably the biggest hater. Uh if, for all the people who hate that guy. There's got to be at least a small European nation that for the right sum of money would be like, you know, we'd let you blame this on us. Greece, maybe. (laughs) We'll take that hit. Exactly. We'll take the PR hit. We'll take the PR hit for the right sum. See, this is why I could never be a billionaire. This is why I will like the universe will never allow me to have that kind of money, because these are the questions I would be asking in a far more serious tone. Oh, You'd God. have enough money where people would wonder whether or not you're joking. 
Well, exactly. Like, I'd like to think I'd be like a nice blend of like uh, who, who's a charitable millionaire that, you know, uh, I mean, I guess Bill Gates would be classified as charitable, right? He's trying okay. to give away all his wealth. So it'd be like a mix between Bill Gates and Mr. Burns. And I feel like that's yeah. the sweet spot of being a, a multi-billionaire. Because otherwise, what are you doing? Like, what are you doing? You're just sitting around waiting to die and give somebody else your money? It's like he, he's very philanthropic, but he doesn't like being crossed. <laughs> he's also really, he's really vindictive. There's, the guy's got a real mean streak to him. Guys, this is the Rock Bell Report Podcast. I'm here tonight with Ryan Lacell. The cold intro here was actually his fault. Uh, Ryan Lace from Rock Sports Network. He sent me, he sent our group chat the clip from uh, Boston 99 or Boston, Jesus Christ, Brooklyn 99. And it was th- that intro where he makes the, the guys who are in the police lineup sing, I want it that way. And the chick's like, yeah, no, that's the guy. That's the guy that murdered my brother. And he has to go, oh, shit. I forgot. It is, it is hands down of all the comedy series out there. Brooklyn Nine Nine is, is, like a top tier comedy to begin with. And that cold open is, I will argue with anyone is the best cold open that I've ever watched in my years of watching television. It is, it is just amazing front to back. Andy Samberg at his best, a song you can't help but sing to and a hilarious turn at the end. You just can't, you can't beat it. The the thing I love about Andy Samberg in general is that he's, he's harmless funny. You know what I mean? Like he's that version of funny where he can push the envelope a little bit. And at the same time, he's not truly offending anyone. And he's goofy. Yeah, he's like he's like a yeah, he's like a a skinny uh, Chris Farley in that way. He's just he's just a funny guy, but he doesn't curse. He doesn't like, you know, he's not telling raunchy jokes or anything like that he's just a funny dude it's it's usually just his gestures like the physical comedy the the facial expressions the like to your point it's a little it is a little farley-esque but that's the thing he's a handsome guy he's goofy and he's great at what he does right yeah Kind of like our quarterback, Josh Allen. Guys, we have a show here for you tonight. We're going to talk about Josh Allen versus the media. We're going to talk about some things the media maybe should be covering a little more closely when it comes to the AFCs. But I got to start with this because now, folks, well, first of all, Chris isn't here. I'm again doing the podcast from my basement. And one of the things I love about that is that I get fun things like this. Like, Ryan, it's hilarious that I have a laugh track. Like, if this was a 90s sitcom, this would be the thing where now I'd, I'd come in with some hokey line like, now, Ryan, you know, people say I'm a pretty reasonable guy. <laughs> but and it's funny because it's farcical because it's the farthest thing from the truth. But one of the things that I love about being turned loose with this production is that I kind of do get to just do whatever I want. And at the same time, last night was hard. It was doing a one man podcast is difficult. And anybody who does it, I give them a lot of credit. Hey, Ryan, would you be able to sit there and talk to yourself by yourself about sports for an hour ten? No. And it's why I've always had Icy as a as a cohort as long as I've done this and joined other people's shows because I can't sit and monologue for any length of time. See the funny thing is I can. I just feel like it's shit. I just feel like, well, this is bad. Or inevitably, either that or it's going to go too far. Like, if I'm down here pounding whiskey and just I have a microphone in front of me, I don't know what's going to happen. Usually, Chris is there. Chris is the governor on all of my good times. 
like that. It's it's like that guy who has a wife who's a little bit of a nag, but it's a good thing for him. Like he might need that in order to keep him in here. Yeah. Like so, we're here together doing this tonight, and the idea came to me because you and I were having this. It wasn't even really a debate because my children dragged me away from it. Which it, you, it was a typical you, Drew debate. <laughs> you, you like flitted in and out. Why don't you explain to the people what my interaction with our group chat is most days? Oh, so it's you'll you'll come in and you'll it, you'll pose a question, some type of you know whether it's football question or pop culture question, uh, and then you'll just leave, and the rest <laughs> of us will debate and we'll talk and we'll tag you and we'll have these like either a super heated conversation because there's a bunch of us on at the same time, or it'll just be like one of us arguing with you while you're just gone. <laughs> and, you know, I, if anyone uses Facebook Messenger, that's where our group chat is. So you can always see when Drew reads what you wrote to him because the little icon moves to the bottom of the of the window there. So it's like, you, you, and then all of a sudden you'll join and you'll say some type of a counterpoint or something like that and we'll continue on with the conversation you'll disappear for another 10 minutes or so and then you'll come in and you'll just post like a random meme like hey guys look what i found and completely off topic completely nothing to do with anything in most cases obscenely offensive and you'll just pretend like the conversation didn't even happen it's almost like you're not the one starting the conversation and you're already ready to move on it's it's really it's, it's really astounding and it's it's uselessness is how you approach our group chat. <laughs> now, I want you to know that this is the same way. Now, this is how I know my wife's a keeper. This is the same way I approach most of our conversations. You should see the way she, <laughs> the things she has to put up with. The number of times I come running into the room and then we'll start a conversation at the middle of it because I've been having it in my head for five minutes. And then I started with her as if she's been there since the beginning. And she's such a good sport. She just lets me go. She goes, I, I don't even know what it is you're rav- raving about, but I'm along for the ride and I'm just going to let this happen to us. You better hang. You better. You better hang on to her like grim death. Uh, it's it's it really is a thing of beauty. But so the one that I didn't want to let go, the argument you and I were going back and forth because Corey Dillon running back for the Cincinnati Bengals, the New England Patriots. Corey Dillon recently just uh, took a flamethrower, right? Like, you want to talk about going to the media. He went to the guy who kind of covers the Bengals for the athletic and came off the rails. It was probably one of my favorite rants I've ever, like, seen put into writing. This is a quote, a direct quote from Corey Dillon. Man, you can quote me word for fucking word, print it, because nobody gets this shit. I want it exactly how I told you, no spins, no nothing. That's a guy who means business, right, Ryan? Oh, absolutely. He's ready to, he he wants all the smoke that comes from this statement. So he comes out and he's talking about how he believes he should be in the Bengals ring of honor. The problem is, is that, and I think, okay, so, and then he also says that he deserves to be in the hall of fame. He says it's bullshit. He talks about all the people. He goes, I'm coming for all of it. You know why? Because I earned it. I'm not one of these borderline guys sitting on my ass reminiscing about what shoulda, woulda, coulda. I had my shit together. I did shit. I'm justified. Okay? And you argued with me that you don't think he belongs. So I kind of wanted to revisit this argument just for the sake of like, because then there is a Bill's lean in here if you follow me. Corey Dillon is maybe 
arguably the best running back the Cincinnati Bengals ever had, correct? Yeah, oh yeah, I would say so. Okay. And, like, and I just want to preface this conversation with I he does belong in their ring of honor. Uh, but what my argument was he does not probably probably doesn't belong in the Hall of Fame. So okay. That that's worth prefacing. So to you a run, and again, you you kind of said that this this like after the '80s, everybody had to have twelve thousand yards. So the fact that he has eleven thousand career yards somehow disqualifies him or makes him a lesser than. But when you look at Corey Dillon, seven one thousand yard seasons in his first eight years in the NFL, he set the Patriots franchise rushing record in a season that they win. They went went and won the Super Bowl when Tom Brady wasn't Tom Brady. Like, I don't know what else you like. That was an offense that flowed through him. He wasn't some, you know, it wasn't like you were watching the Kansas City Chiefs. You're talking about a running like how they are now with Mahomes and their running backs where Isaiah Pacheco is great. You know, he contributes. He was a key piece, but he's not the straw that stirs the drink. And Corey Dillon was that right. Yeah. Yeah, he was. And and I think that what I. The, the the phrase that I used I think was was it underrated underappreciated probably both for Corey Dillon mm-hmm. um I just I, I think twelve thousand yards seems to be the threshold now and there's there's actually you know two guys that are ahead of him on the rushing list that aren't in the Hall of Fame that I would also put in his same category that's Fred Taylor and that's Steven Jackson those are two guys that I think are vastly underrated underappreciated in their time uh, mm-hmm. Steven Jackson actually was a guy when we did uh, a fantasy draft of players that never won a Super Bowl. Um, mm-hmm. Steven Jackson, I did it with hashtag. Um, Steven Jackson was my, my final pick because I, I think he was that underrated of a running back, but that good. Um, and, you know, Fred Taylor, Steven Jackson, both, again, both ahead of Corey Dillon in a lot of statistical categories, rushing yards, yards per attempt. You know, he's got more touchdowns than they do. Um, they were both better receiving backs than he was. They're not in. And I think, from what I can gather, at least, it seems to be that 12,000-yard threshold. Fred Taylor's at 11,000, about 700. He's 11,695. Stephen Jackson's 11,438. Corey Dillon's 11,241. Now, the one that's going to put this to a test is going to be LaShawn McCoy. Because McCoy is at 11,102. And I think you can probably argue that LaShawn McCoy should get into the Hall of Fame. He's got two Super Bowls, two pro, six Pro Bowls, two All-Pros. Um, probably belongs to deserves to be in, um, but he's going to be the one that tests that twelve thousand threshold because he's not there yet. Um, so I think all in when you think back to Corey Dillon, I don't think a lot of people really realize how good of a running back he was. Got, did, um, he had Bengals, five, Bengals ring of honor, absolutely five yeah. seasons, right? Five seasons out of Corey Dillon's career, he had double digit touchdowns. There yeah, are I some mean, running backs eighty two touchdowns like that's insane. Eighty two touchdowns in a career is insane. Like, that's my point. The guy was a rarity at his position, and I think he deserves the honor. But if you want to say that there's all these other things, there's log jams, there's got Okay, I'm willing to listen to a little bit of that, but the Ring of Honor thing bugs me. And it clearly fucking bugs him. Uh, in the yeah. article where they were talking to him about all this, he went on to talk about the mechanics of this, and I think he's maybe got a legitimate axe to grind here. Because... It's voted on by season ticket holders. Mm. Now, Ryan, you and I joke around a lot about the fact, like, in our intro, and when I intro the show, I still refer to myself as season ticket holder Drew Gear. Yeah. 
<laughs> and it's funny because now it's become a point of contention amongst people in our own fan base where they go, just because you're a season ticket holder doesn't make you a better fan than the rest of us. It doesn't mean that you know more than the rest of us. And there's a part of me that's like, I mean, I do know more than a lot of you, but you do have a point, right? Just having that season ticket doesn't because I know guys that we have season tickets with who get drunk and fall asleep sometimes during the games. <laughs> or or who get or who get asked to leave the club section because they're arguing with rich people over Arby's. I'll let that one just you, you can use your imagination to figure out who I'm talking about. If you listen to the pod pod long enough, I'm sure you know who he's talking about. Yeah. So I know plenty of people who have season tickets and it doesn't make them smart about football. But it is funny. Like now I won't take it out of the intro and I won't stop calling myself that because clearly it irritates people. But I'll tell you what, it would piss people off a lot more to know that I was a season ticket holder who didn't vote for Corey Dillon for the Ring of Honor. Right. Like that should piss you off as the average fan who knows anything about the game. Correct or incorrect. Oh, yeah. I mean, if you're a I mean, to be a Bengals fan and not think that Corey Dillon belongs in your ring of honor is a completely different level of petty. And that's like, and and not only that, but to have enough of the season ticket holders not want him in, I don't know. And I guess I don't know enough about Corey Dillon off the field. I know he had some run-ins with the law and things like that, but by all accounts, it didn't seem like he was anybody that, I mean, he's not Ray Rice, right? No. Like there's nothing like that in his past that would make him polarizing Mike Vick, anything Along those lines, it just seems like based on the, his statement that he made the other day and, and maybe some of the quotes that I've seen, the guy's an asshole. Like, that's fine. But I mean, hell, the Bills have O.J. Simpson in their hall in their ring of honor. So like, have what are we Simpson. doing here? Right. Well, exactly. And so that brings me to this question. And I'm happy that you mentioned LaShawn McCoy. When you think about guys who are probably up next or guys who you think deserve to be in the Bills ring of honor. Who do you look at and go, well, that guy deserves it and this guy's a snub? Where do you fall on LaShawn McCoy? There's some people who believe that if this player was not with your franchise for it, like if he wasn't a career player, if he didn't spend most of his career, I mean, because let's remember, Bruce and Thurman are both in and they didn't end their careers here in Buffalo, right? Like not technically. Yeah. Andre Reid didn't play out the string his final season here in Buffalo. But these guys were, they came up here. They were a part of the fabric of the franchise. Where do you fall on the Sean McCoy, who arguably was the most important piece to us breaking the drought? It yeah, was I like, mean, he's, it's like Sean McDermott, the, like if Sean McDermott's the reason we broke the drought, like him showing up with this unheralded roster, I'm willing to give him that. LaShawn McCoy is like one, if, if McDermott's 1A, McCoy's 1B. Yeah, I mean, McCoy, I mean, he had a hell of a time with Buffalo. It was only four years, but I mean, 3,800 yards, 25 touchdowns. Like, you added another 1,300 receiving yards, another five touchdowns. I mean, he was, by all accounts, the offense those four years that he was here, right? I mean, you know, there's there's probably a couple of guys ahead of him, and I think those are no-brainers. That's Kyle Williams, probably Fred Jackson. I'm a little cooler on Fred Jackson than I obviously a lot of Bills fans are. Um, Fred Jackson was fine, stuck around for 
eight years. Um, I'm just not sure how good of a player he was. And when you look at the Bills, you know, Ring of Honor, the Bills Wall of Fame, they're really good players, right? Yes. Like there's a lot of good borderline Hall of Fame players in that Ring of Honor. And I think you could make the argument that Fred Jackson may wind up being the least talented guy that gets on the wall um, because of what he meant to the community and what he meant to the Bills fans stuck through the drought, things like that. But LaShawn McCoy, I think you could make a case. I could see folks going, well, he was only there for four years. Really, his best seasons were in Philly. Um, he's going to go into the Hall of Fame as an Eagle. Um, so should he go on the Bills Hall of Fame? I could see that debate. Um, but I absolutely could also see putting him in because he was, throughout those drought teams, probably the most talented player that they've had on the roster. So then I go, you go down the string and you go, who else might fit this bill for Buffalo where like you're getting overlooked? Like I, I have the list here in front of me from the, uh, the Bills Wall of Fame list from buffalobillsalumni.com. I'm surprised now we talk about snubs and people who deserve to be pissed off about snubs. Steve Tasker has been snubbed from the Hall of Fame, but he's not even in his own team's wall of honor. Why do you think that is? Well, he's on there, right? Isn't isn't he in the Is he? Cuz I'm going on the, the list, I'm not seeing him. Yeah, he's on the he's on the wall of fame. Ah, Steve there Tasker. it is, Steve Tasker. Okay. Yeah. Well, you know he's my favorite he's my favorite linebacker ever. Yeah. He's my <laughs> yeah. favorite linebacker think- ever. Steve Tasker is an absolute crime that he's not in the, in the NFL Hall of Fame. No, he should. I'm be. a firm believer that if, that if that if there was a rule change made because of how you played the game, that should automatically put you into the Hall of Fame. I don't know about that. And Ask hockey fans. Ask hockey fans because uh, what's his face? He used to play for the Rangers. Like I was a dickhead. He made he, he like there was a playoff game and he was waving his stick in front of the goalie's face. Like he wasn't even playing the play. He was just standing there holding his stick in the air in front of the goalie's eyes. And then the goalie got scored on and tried to fight him. Uh, Sean Avery. <laughs> yeah. Sean, Sean Avery. Right, well, and then, not, and, you know me. I'm not a hockey guy. I'm not a hockey guy. So All they had, I know is that the way that the way that punt coverage is covered is, is done now is completely different than the way it was pre 1997 when Steve Tasker retired. So uh, he, he, he's the quintessential. You know, it's like John Olerud in baseball, right? Like John Olerud was the first ever, like, only, only DH. And, and that's Steve Taskers. Like, he's the special teams guy. They have him listed as a wide receiver, but let's be honest, he was a gunner. He's the best gunner that's ever played the position. Absolutely should be in the Hall of Fame. Now, Kyle Williams is in, and he's in an inevitability, right? Kyle Williams has to be the next name. I don't, I don't know who could be next if not for Kyle Williams. Who do you think will be the next person for the Bills who feels like Corey Dillon? Like, I was great, and I don't understand why I'm not up there. I'm, I'm assuming it has to be somebody from the drought era, right? Like, it has Lee to be Evans? Some, there, there's going to be a Lee Evans conversation. There's probably going to be a Stevie Johnson conversation at some point that kind of goes this way, where people go, you know, he was our only 1,000-yard wide receiver <laughs> multiple times over a span of time when we couldn't throw the fucking ball at all. Someone's going to try to make that, but it's not about your impact because we were bad, right? Like you still have to, to your earlier point, we you have to be a good player. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, again, Steve, you know, Stevie Johnson, good Buffalo Bill, you know, three straight thousand yard seasons. Um, but I mean, that that's about it for the guy, right? Like he had three thousand yard seasons, and then he had 
five more seasons where he did absolutely nothing. So uh, it's really tough for me to put a guy in after three pretty good seasons. I mean, again, being being king of the trash heap doesn't really equate to being a Wall of Fame member. Okay. You know, I think Lee Evans has a very strong case for why am I not already on based on when I retired. Um, so I think he, he might be he might be the guy. Um, I, you know, I could see folks making cases for a lot of these guys, right? Like Fitzpatrick, I can see folks making a case for him. I can see folks making a case for Stevie Johnson. Um, you know, there's a lot of guys that were pretty good when they played in Buffalo. Stephon Gilmore was really good when he played for Buffalo. He hasn't played here for a while, but you could make an argument that he was one of the better corners to play for this team in its team's history. So there's guys certainly you can talk, have that conversation around. But the first one that probably would, should and would be upset, I think, at this point is probably Lee Evans. And I think he's if he gets on, it's not going to be until after Kyle, probably after Fred Jackson, maybe even after Shady. He, he's going to at some point be like, hey, what about me? Right. Well, and this leads me to a, a pretty nice little segue, because then the question becomes. So you're trying to talk about, well, Stevie Johnson, back to back to back thousand yard seasons. Nobody had done it. That's nice. But he wasn't like he wasn't here long term, blah, 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 blah. The Buffalo Bills go on to win the 2023 Super Bowl. Stephon Diggs has another 1,000-yard season and then leaves the franchise at the end of the year. Does Stephon Diggs deserve that type of honor, given what he did here in a Bills uniform? Yeah. Stephon Stephon Diggs. Stephon Diggs. I'm a firm believer that Stephon Diggs and Brian Dable are the two guys that are most – and Mitch Morse. I'll go three are the most contributing to the success of Josh Allen and turning him into what he is today. But without Stefan Diggs, without that alpha receiver for him to go to when things get tough and when he doesn't know what to do with the football early in his career, he's he doesn't turn into what he is. I'm a firm, firm believer on that. If the Buffalo Bills win a Super Bowl, Stefan Diggs has another thousand yard season, another top five NFL wide receiver season for the Buffalo Bills. I, I think you put him on, like, during the parade, they unveil his name on that ring of honor. I, I, I think he's been that transformative for this franchise. So it's funny that, like, this whole media narrative that's been taking place and unfolding over the last couple of weeks, it's just, just about Stefan Diggs. Like, he's the focal point of this whole thing. And... It's interesting to me just how this the story's morphed, and a lot of it has to do with who's asking the questions and who's doing the talking and who's keeping this thing going. So, as everybody knows now, you've all heard the clip. It was in the intro to the show. Uh, that was Josh Allen at the top of the show on uh, Barstool Sports, bussing with the boys, talking to Taylor Lewan and I, I owe Will Compton. Will Compton, who I think is criminally underrated in terms of how funny he actually is like his whole playoff willie shtick it's funny and ryan do you know the story like do you know the story about him and how like what happened to him and his shot at the nfl no i don't okay so listen to this he was going to sign a contract with the falcons like he was going to sign a contract with the falcons and they had him in the building and then they go, Oh, okay. The, um, 
you know, we got to talk about this. You know, we, we, we're really not sure what's going to happen. You know, we just got to wait for the league to approve it. So get back, you know, go, go back to your hotel. Just wait. We'll get back to you. Usually it's a 15, 20 minute thing. They didn't get an answer. So he's like, okay, fine. That's cool. I'll go to the hotel. He goes to the hotel and then it's hours and then it's a day. And then the team calls him and says, look, the NFL, because you do this thing with Barstool and you have a gambling sponsor, it's going to be a whole bunch of things. You're going to have to pay back money. You're going to have to give up your show. You're going to have to do it. And he was just like, what the fuck, guys? Okay, then I don't want to play football. <laughs> like, it's, yeah. I don't want to play football anymore. But it kills him watching football from the sidelines, knowing that like he should be out there. And they talk about that during their interview. There's a lot of really interesting stuff to be had from his interview on Bustin' with the Boys. But the one thing the local media here decided to like take and run with was the fact that they asked him about the Stefan Diggs drama. And they essentially they essentially came back and said, you know, we don't. Uh, he said, no, there's no problem. And so they said, hey, we, we got to talk about it. The Stefan Diggs drama. And he goes, there is no drama. That's my guy. I love him. We're working through some stuff. You heard it. And at the same time. There's no alarm, and he's like, "I, they're, they're, the media is making a bigger deal out of this than they should be." And then, is almost to prove his point, didn't our local media kind of like immediately take that that snippet and try to run with it? Yeah, of course. Now, because they're the ones he's talking about. Now, this is what's interesting, Ryan, and I. I th- that's why I felt like you were again the perfect person to have this conversation with the other day friend of the show weekly afc's roundup contributor and all-around great guy elf artiaga from three yards per carry covers the miami dolphins he's a on our afc's roundup podcast every single week during the regular season he tweeted out that outside of out of all the teams besides miami the fan base in the afc east that knows the most about their teams the most educated and is the most informed is the buffalo bills he goes, Bills fans know their shit. They've got a lot. They're, they're, they're informed. He's like, even when you're arguing with them online, they have points, legitimate points that they can bring up and throw back at you because they're well informed. And that's pretty high praise, right? Even yeah, when, absolutely. Uh, especially when you consider that we're one of only four teams, like we're the only one that's not a major market, right? Like a major media market. So Buffalo's not yeah. a draw for attention or judge. We're not a draw for what, what do you want to call it? Like hiring for our, like our major publications aren't major publications. Yeah. Nobody's, nobody's graduating from J school dreaming of going to Buffalo, right? Like no, we've it, seen a lot of talent come into this town and a lot of talent leave over the last decade. Oh, for sure. And in fact, you know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of Green Bay. Green Bay is not a major yeah. media market. They have a good football team. But at the same time, you look at what Green Bay is, and they've got, like, the Sentinel. And, like, I know Tyler Dunn was up there working for a long time as a beat reporter. He'll tell you. You, know, you listen to his podcasts. You listen to you read his books and his writing. He'll tell you there wasn't much to do in town, and there wasn't a whole lot of places to work in journalism, point blank, and period, kind of like Buffalo. And one of the dynamics there became this idea that the media kind of had to carry water for the team because 
if you worked there, your job hinged on whether or not you could get access. Now, we'll come back to that in a sec- that, that thought in a second, because that's something that everyone has to wrap their heads around when it comes to all this and where this stuff comes from. But it is cool to look back and think about how Elf just characterized our entire fan base as being well-educated about football. And I think a lot of it, and maybe even the bulk of it, because of what's going on in our local journalism community, has to do with the growth of our amateur content creation community. Like When we started doing this podcast, it was a lark. No one was doing it. And we sucked at it. But we had enough runway where no one was paying attention. There were when people actually said, hey, you know what I'm going to get into is Bill's podcast. We'd already had three to four years to really fuck up and figure out what worked and what didn't. And so that was nice. But now if you Google Buffalo Bill's podcasts, there's 54 different options that immediately pop up for you. And there's more if you just dig a little bit. And there's something that there's something for everybody. If you're looking for smart people who want to. Hold this decorum laden conversation about the finer points of football, high level thinking, you know, a lot of SAT words they'll throw around. It's this, as I, I always joke around with them, they're the quote unquote smart people. And it's, you know, the guys that cover one, Bruce Nolan, Joe Marino from Locked on Bills. You know, you want a call in style show where you can hear other fans talk about their opinions. Joe Miller in the overreaction hour. If you want breakdowns from guys who played football before, John Fina, former Bills left tackle during the Super Bowl era, he has a podcast. If you just want to get into startup pods, you want to listen to people who are closer to you than they are to any of those people I just talked about in terms of their understanding about football, but they still want to get behind a microphone and have fun talking about it. And they do have some interesting viewpoints. It's like you can find them. Our girl Tiff over at the built in Buffalo Network. She's great. You guys over at Rock Sports, the stuff you guys were doing when you guys were covering all the training camp stuff. And then, like, if you're looking for drunken shenanigans and some of the crassest football conversation you're ever going to hear, like, you're already here. (laughs) So, So cheers. I'll raise a glass to you guys. But I guess it's this thing, like, local journalism here in Buffalo has slowly been dying on the vine. And in fact, I think all of Western New York is kind of feeling this. Wouldn't you say that, Ryan? Oh yeah. Yeah. For, I, absolutely. I think, you know, there's, there's guys in the, in the podcasting community that certainly bring a, a totally different dimension to what it is you find out in any other market, right? Like cover one, there's not a group out there for any other team that's covering the X's and O's the way that those guys do, you know, when it comes to just, just fun, drunken, drunken ramblings, it's you guys rock power report <laughs> for just fun, laughs with consistent content you know the guys over at hashtag are doing some awesome things there's just a a wide variety like you said of what you're looking for The, the problem is is there's not a wide variety being covered in the mainstream right it's a lot of the same type of stuff being covered by the mainstream and and some of it is because those guys have to be cognizant of what sells right like you can find like cover one, you can argue is a very niche community, right? You have to want to learn about football if if you're going to be seeking guys like that out. So they can afford to because they have their own little community. If you're writing for a paper or for WGR and you're broadcasting to the masses, you don't have people seeking you out. You have to be very cognizant of the stories that you post. Um, that said, um, I do think that there's 
fewer than there should be of mainstream media members that are willing to criticize the Buffalo Bills. Um, I think Sal Capaccio is one of those guys that as much as people complain that he carries water for the team, I think he's been very honest and open throughout his entirety of time with, with WGR and covering the Bills. He's very willing to call them out when he thinks something that goes something goes the direction it shouldn't. Um, I think Matt Perino is another one that does a pretty good job of being, um, you know, fairly level-headed when he approaches things. From there, the list, you know, I'm probably forgetting a couple of guys. Apologies to them if they do listen. But I think from there, the list is very short in terms of guys that are willing to go out of their way um, to criticize the team when it's it's necessary. And, it's, um, and, and that's, that's a shame. And there's a difference between criticizing the team and hackery. There exactly. Is. Exactly. Like, yeah. Like, don't be clickbaity, right? Like, don't be don't be the guy who says negative stuff just for the sake of saying negative stuff to be argumentative. Oh, just be honest about the way that the team goes. Hang on. Oh, you mean like when Thad Brown? You know, the, the, where is he? WHAM 13 in Rochester, Thad Brown. Uh, he tweeted out that, you know, uh, let me read this. His answer could have been, we understand the media has a job to do. When coach says he's concerned, it becomes a talking point. But we're comfortable things are resolved, blah, 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 looking forward to getting back at camp. Instead, Josh swung at the hornet's nest, so he might get stung. He might get stung? <laughs> Thad, who, who the... It's it's one of those things, like, who do you think you are? What does that statement right. even mean? Like, I look at the state of local journalism, and this is what I see. The the Buffalo paper moved its printing completely out of Buffalo because its parent company is just trying to keep it viable via strategy now because they realize there's no there's nothing here we can do anymore to keep this thing afloat. Costs are going up. We don't have any money. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You look at what's happening at the paper alone. Just use the Buffalo News as an example. Bucky, Sully, Bucky Gleason, Jerry Sullivan, all of these guys are gone. And some of them have just like, if you're Jerry Sullivan, have decided to fire themselves into the sun completely. We still haven't gotten ourselves canceled. Like Jerry Sullivan somehow beat us to the punch. <laughs> That's kind of funny, isn't it? Well, despite your your drunken ramblings, you have managed to keep race, politics and 
uh, gender discrimination out of your vocabulary. So those are usually the pretty, pretty quick paths to being canceled. You guys have done a good job of avoiding those landmines. I'm shocked Chris has avoided them, but he's done a good job. I mean, those are all things that don't matter. Like, I, I guess it's just that stuff that like, it's like the rule at our tailgate. Nobody talks politics. Nobody talks religion. You don't talk social issues. We're here to just everyone have a good time. And what I see is that with that rule in place, I've watched people who I know are on very opposite sides of a lot of issues have a great fucking time together because at the end of the day, we're yeah. all just people. It's like, look, we're all just trying to do this communal thing. Let's just have it. I like to create that space. So anyways, you look at what's happening and the new crew that's coming into your point, there's a handful of people who are willing to be even handed and give criticism when it's due and do so with art very articulately. And they do it very well. And at the same time, like you look at what else is out there. Sal Mariana. I don't hate the guy. I just know that like I met him in person once that do you remember like the the brief period of time in 2017 when I had training camp credentials? I I vividly remember it. <laughs> so I'm I'm in the Bills press box at the stadium. My hands are shaky, but I'm trying to play it off like I'm a professional. I'm here. I'm in the room with these guys. This is crazy. And I I guess I didn't I thought it was going to be more like Mad Men. And instead, what I got was I got snubbed by Mike. Ro I got big time by Mike Rodak and one of his. I think it was Matt Fairburn. And then I listened to Sal Mariana as I was setting all my stuff up. Just bitch for about 20 minutes about the quality of the food in the press box. <laughs> and I was like, what the fuck is happening here? What is this old man yelling about? He's like, oh, cheap ass hot dogs. And they couldn't even melt real cheese. They got to get the nacho shit. It was hilarious. And then now that I've gotten to know Sal Mariana, Food complaints in the box to complaints about getting parking tickets outside of the Amex arena to complaining about the Yankees. He really has spent most of his journalistic career just being the old man shaking his fist at the cloud, hasn't he? he oh, absolutely. Yeah, that's that's that. <laughs> love, love him or hate him. That's who he is. One of my old favorite man yells at cloud. One of my favorite interactions with him was he he made a point. He said something about how something wasn't fair. And I quote tweeted and I said, hey, guys, Sal Mariana might be a horse's ass, but he's right about this one. And he responded to it with like a uh, thanks with a question mark. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, that's right, Sal. I'm like, at least he has a sense of humor about this. He's like, what the hell? <laughs> OK, he's the definition of I always pick on you for, but he's the definition of like rabble, rabble, harum. That's, that's his <laughs> that's his personality to a T. Oh, it sucks. It's like looking into a mirror is the problem. We're too similar. And that's why I don't like him. You'll never have that quaff of hair. No, How dare you? No. <laughs> but then you go back and you, you look at it and you say, OK, so sell Mariana, his presence, like what he is. You, know, you got Jay Skursky at the paper who blocked us on Twitter, but he writes mediocre articles and you can't comment about it or else he gets mad. I think the thing for me that really set this in was the Chris Brown suspension for talking about camp formations after the team flat out told everybody, Ryan, you have camp credentials. When they say don't talk about the formations or who's involved in them, they mean it. And so they kind of had to make their point by suspending Chris Brown and the whole journalism community threw their hands up and were like, oh, how dare you? This is a blah, blah, blah. the problem is, is that they owe the team. Not the other way around. The power dynamic is there, and you chose to make this your career. Meanwhile, there's those of us who get to do what we do, which is just drink and talk about the team and still hold a nine to five that pays us pretty well, right? Yeah, I mean, I mean, listen, it's 
Dan Levitard talks about this all the time in his show. There has been a very strong power dynamic shift in probably the last decade um, to where professional sports teams don't need local media anymore. Like they, they don't have to let these guys into the press conferences. They don't have to let these guys into the locker rooms. They frankly don't have to let these guys have any access to the players whatsoever. It used to be, that's how players got known, right? Like you would go and you would do interviews and you would do, you know, personal interest stories and you would, you know, you would talk to the pressers and they would ask the hard hitting questions that fans really want to know. And now it's like, these guys all have podcasts. The (laughs) the players are giving you all this information. Now they're going down and sitting with busting with the bills. They're going down and sitting with McAfee. They're going down and sitting with guys like Levitard and all these guys that have these, these, these reaches, the national media and, and local media specifically has become very irrelevant to the NFL specifically, but, but to pro sports in general. So this whole like holier than thou approach that I think a lot of these these local guys in, in Buffalo and you see it in others, right? Like Bills, let's be clear, like the Bills media aren't the only ones that act this way, right? No. But there's a very entitled old school feel to you need us to do this job because the people deserve to have these questions asked. And it's like, mm, people don't really care anymore, right? Like people yeah. are going to buy tickets. People are going to watch football. People are going to enjoy the game. People are going to tune into the, the social media. Well, they're following that player Allen on Instagram. They're following right. that like, player on Instagram. So they don't need a journalist to be like, hey, Stefan Diggs was disgruntled after the game. And this is what he had to say, or he avoided our questions. No, they'll just look at his Instagram as he's like tweeting middle fingers at somebody after the game, and you go, "Oh, okay, no, he's pissed." <laughs> I, I don't right. need and you I mean, to and tell I mean, by me. By and that. large, by and large, there are aggregators out there who do a better job of keeping people in tune to what these players are doing than even these guys that write articles. Like yes. Ryan Talbot, to me, is one of the best follows for anyone on social media. If you're interested in the Bills, he's. He writes some articles. They're good. But by and large, he does a great job of aggregating social media. Yep. And it's just like if you follow Ryan Talbot, you will know what's going on with the Bills, not because he's dialed in necessarily, but because he's really, really good at following social media and pulling news and putting it together in a way that's digestible. But again, whoa, 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 whoa. I just want to hit this. Can we call him TMZ Bills now? Please tell oh, me. Oh, I would love if he would to rebrand himself as TMZ Bills. I'm like, going to reach out to Ryan him. Ryan is the best dude. Like, he's the best dude. Oh, yeah. And no, everyone should him. follow him if you don't. He's super good at what he does. But, yeah, TMZ Bills is a perfect example of what he is. Absolutely. I, I think I'm going to reach out to him after another cocktail or two tonight. And I'm going to be like, listen, don't shoot the messenger, but you need you need this. Be TMZ Bills. Just do it. It'd be <laughs> hilarious. He'll probably just he'll probably laugh and then go, are you drinking? Which I'm not going to lie to you. That, that question comes up a lot when I suggest ideas. Shockingly, it comes up a lot when I suggest things the, to your point. This concept of like they take themselves a little too seriously. None of you are cracking cases like an investigative reporter. There's no Pulitzers being handed out here in Buffalo, New York for your coverage of the Buffalo Bills. You're not documenting war. You're not putting yourselves in harm's way or you're you're to report on human suffering. You're not, you're holding microphones in front of sweaty guys in their underwear so that you can make a few shekels and print something that me and my buddies are going to argue about at the bar after a slow pitch softball game for 20 minutes. That's it. Yeah. That's what you do. If you want me, if you want me to be a dick about it, that's what you do. Like, 
great wonderful yeah, there, there will be a time there will be a time in our lifetime and and i know you and i have a seagram's bet a long-term seagram's bet on a european conference in the nfl or whatever division um but i also i'm a firm believer that there will be a time in the next decade and a half ish where the nfl will be the ones to do it first but they will shut out uh media coverage they they will they'll they'll stop doing after practice scrums after game scrums they're going to stop that and they're going to turn it over to the guys like Chris Brown who are affiliates of the team they work directly for the Bills they work directly for the NFL like those are the guys that are going to have access and everyone else is going to get shut out well because you can because you control the that. message because that guy right. knows he only right. has his job because you employ him. And that's, right, because they can't because they can't control the messes that these players are doing when they go on busting with the you know busting with the boys and they go on McAfee like they have a really hard time controlling that message. So the best way that they can do it is mitigate the damage by just limiting the access that they have yep. outside of these outlets. Because they can't control. Don't, what we don't say. put them in front of a microphone and they can't say something stupid, right? The NFL don't can't, put Sean McDermott yes. in front of a microphone and he can't say something stupid like "I'm really worried about what just happened with Stefan Diggs." That don't, doesn't happen if he doesn't have to go do that circus of a media event. Don't make uh, former Bills GM Doug Whaley go and do a radio spot, and he won't say football is a game that human beings shouldn't be playing. Exactly. Like, the, these are the things. So instead, you leave it up to assholes like us, who they can't control, but they say, listen, we're not worried about them because they have no access, and it doesn't matter. <laughs> They can postulate all they want. And in the grand scheme of things, they have, you know, 10,000 followers. And who cares what one person is saying to 10,000 people, right? Like, you're not going to get aggregated doing that. Now, this is the funniest part about this whole thing, right? This whole concept. So we've 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 pretty much laid out the scenario for everyone who's listening is not familiar with the, the way the Buffalo media market works. The fact that you guys aren't working that hard and realistically your reach is very small. No one outside of Western New York knows who the fuck you are. And so with that in mind, I think that when you've been there, because we've both sat in those things, but you've done it a lot more than I have. This hornet's nest, quote unquote, that Thad Brown decided was a fun thing to tweet about. What what? Has it ever happened where a reporter asking questions at a training camp scrum or at a at one of those like faux? I don't want to call them pressers because it all happens under like a pop up tent, which is, kind of cheapens the idea of it being a quote unquote presser. But a pop tent with folding tables. Yeah. And, yeah. So with that in mind, like it doesn't really feel like a presser, quote unquote. But at the same time. This, oh, well, he he really kicked the hornet's nest this time. Who's going to be the first person to launch him a softball question about turkey burgers? Oh, it'll it'll be, yeah. I mean, someone's going to, right? Because that's why that, that article gained so much traction. Because people are like, turkey burgers, I like those too, right? Like, people are, people are going to read. Like, my mother reads that article, right? Because she's... She's who those guys are marketing towards. They're not marketing to you and I. They're no. articles. They don't they don't write them for you and I. They write them for A, the people that are still reading the paper either online or in print, and B, the people who don't really want to know a ton about the team. They just want to casually follow, right? Like that those are the people that they write the article to. But I mean, let, I mean, you know, listen. If Josh Allen decides and this hornet's nest comment gets back to him and he really wants to be petty. 
he can just pull a Marshawn Lynch. Well, and that's what that's the access that that local media will have of him. And he'll just do all of his talking through McAfee and all of these other podcasts. I have he'll a just bo- shut the local media out entirely. So if Thad Brown thinks that he can make things difficult for Josh Allen, I got news for you. Like Josh Allen can make things very, very difficult for Thad Brown. If he just says, I am not talking to you. And if I'm forced to, I'm here. So I don't get fined. He's he could get that guy fired. Just by doing well, that, he absolutely could. If he if he go if for whatever reason it gets back to WROC or whatever station that is with in Rochester, and it gets back that Josh will not talk to him, you will be surprised at how quickly a Thad Brown who's been around for a long time will would would lose his job or become reassigned. And I I think that's a a strong dichotomy shift of what we've seen in the last ten years where. That used to not be the case. No. And I was going to ask, I'm like, I don't think anybody really has the balls to get in Josh Allen or Sean McDermott's ass about this stuff. I don't think they do, because I think most of the good ones understand the power structure, right? Yeah. And I think I think the ones that we talked about earlier have an appreciation for what it is they do. Right. Like at the end of the day. You're not doing hard hitting investigative journalism where you're uncovering some type of an oil spill by a multi billion dollar corporation that puts, you know, thousands, millions of lives at risk, right? You're not investigating murders and doing a murder podcast and, and, and like setting a, a, an innocent man free from jail for, you know, things like that. Like you're covering a child's game that grown men get paid to play at a very high level and make billions of dollars doing it. Enjoy the fact that you're getting paid to cover a game. Because there's a lot of people that go to a normal nine to five every day that don't get covered to pay to, to play a, to to cover a child's game um, played by grown men. So I think the the guys that do the job the best are the ones that keep perspective as to what it is they get to do on a day to day basis. And I think that I think that for our listeners, it's like, hey, give those guys the time of day. Those are the Absolutely. people that you should be listening to. The, the people Absolutely. who like, carry around this those guys energy we talked about earlier, they yeah. deserve all the follows, right? Like Matt Perino, follow him. Ryan Talbot, follow him. Sal Capaccio, follow him. Like those guys deserve all of the credit because they're the ones that understand it's a game. They understand it's fun. They they put fun into their work. They don't take themselves too seriously. Um, and they're not trying to catch anybody in any type of lies. At the same time, I do think they ask fair questions. When the Matt Ariza situation came up, you heard Sal ask some good questions there. I think you heard Sal ask some good questions yes. um, during the Diggs press conference when Sean McDermott said he's concerned. I think that 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 Matt did a really good job of following up the next day when when McDermott tried to walk things back. He kind of challenged him a little bit on it. They do a good job of of kind of holding those guys accountable. But at the end of the day, it's going to be haha turkey burgers because that's what my listeners want to hear, and that's the fun stuff, right? Like those yeah. are the things that are going to wind up getting play with with those guys, and that's what I appreciate about them. So. Now, we talked earlier, like you remember vividly my my brief time having credentials for training camp. Now, here's what I remember. Very much so. Now, and this is why this whole thing is funny, (laughs) just to bring this whole thing around and put it to bed. This is how I I look at this and I say to myself to have that attitude and anybody else in our local media who's going to have that attitude when they approach our football players and this team, this upcoming training camp and this upcoming season. Like, well, they, 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 there's 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 still things that we're not satisfied with the answers. So we're going to keep digging and we're going to keep doing the hard invent. You guys don't work that fucking hard. Here's how I know no. I did it right. Like I got lost inside the stadium. I walked into Sean McDermott's presser late because Rodak and Fairburn told me they didn't know where the where the fucking uh, press room was. 
where the conference was with McDermott before practice was happening. Lie. So I walk in late. And of course, the Ryan, you know what that is. It's like in college when you walk in halfway through a class and half the room looks and so does the person giving the lecture. Sean McDermott locked eyes with me for about three seconds. And the whole time I'm like, oh, my God, I just want to crawl in a hole and fucking die. Like, that's it. I just want to die. But because I'm trying to be a professional, I just shake it off. I don't even acknowledge it. I just get my recorder out. I don't walk it up to the podium like an asshole so I can get. I just crank up the sensitivity and hope I get something of value from sitting way over here by the door. That happens. And I shake off that embarrassment. I say, okay, fuck it. I'm going outside. I'm not going to deal with these journalists anymore. I'm just going to go outside. I'm going to talk to some of the fans. I'm going to get set up. I'm going to find some good angles to get photos and to talk to people and to you know, kind of get some vantage points out in the field. All of this stuff happens. That night turns out to be a great night. Now, later on, there was a not so great experience that you witnessed. I don't know if you want to tell the story because I think it's funnier coming from your vantage point. All I know is that was what I wanted to do before he tells the story. All I wanted was a picture of the sun coming up and hitting the face of Grownie Stadium at St. John Fisher. And so I was like, oh, well, I'm, I am I'm, I took like a walk out to the hash marks on the field. And then I was like, well, since I'm already here, I see Ryan. I might as well just walk over there. You take it away. So, yeah, I think this was before the stadium, right? Like this was one of the first couple of days of camp, I think. No, anyway, no, this so, is at this is at St. John Fisher. Right, right. This was at St. John Fisher, right. So so I, I'll start with I, I texted Drew because I knew Drew was coming and I was coming up. And I texted Drew and I said, Hey, what time are you planning on getting there? This was, I don't know, seven o'clock in the morning. I think I texted and practice started at nine thirty. Presser was gonna be at eight forty five, nine o'clock. Seven o'clock in the morning, I texted Drew, Hey, what time are you getting up there? And get a text back. I'm already here. I've been here for like an hour. So he's <laughs> Four hours early for anything of any relevance, right? It's not even not even bright out yet. And Drew's like already in St. John Fisher, which was an hour and 10 minute drive for you. So we get there. I'm running late. So I'm like, I'm not going to make it up to the presser. Just you cover it. I'll meet you at the field, whatever. I'm standing with Cam Boone, who was doing um, some <clears throat> intern work. So Cam Boone, a good, good friend of mine now, we were standing on the opposite side of the field because we would always set up to start practice. We would always set up on the far field, far sideline, because that's where the, the wide receivers would work out. And that was Stefan Diggs's first year in Buffalo, if I remember correctly. Oh, no, so this was 20, always, no, this was 2017. 20, this is when, 2017. Okay, so this was, right. So, okay, so we were lined up on that end to cover the, the wide receivers. And... I'm talking with Cam and I pick my head up and I see some guy just standing in the middle of the field with his camera up. Like he's a tourist, right? Like we're at the pyramids at Giza and he's just like snapping pictures, turning around. And I look at Cam and I go, is that Drew? I think that's Drew over there. And Cam's like, I don't know. I've never met Drew. I don't know what he looks like. And sure enough, the security guard comes running over to Drew, arms waving. You can't be on the field. Get off the field. Get out. And Drew, you're doing that like, little kid thing where you get caught and you don't know which direction to run. So you're like turning in circles, profusely apologizing to the guy. Like, I didn't know. I'm sorry. I'll go this way. And the guy goes, no, you can't go that way. Go this way. And you wind up over on next to me. I'm laughing my ass off. I'm just dying. The guy's glaring at you in the middle of the field. You're, you're head hung going. I didn't know that. I, I didn't know I wasn't supposed to be on the field. I didn't know where I was. Like it was, 
hands down one of the funniest things that I've seen at training camp. The guy, day. the guy gave me what I call the goon hand, where he kind of grabs you under the arm, but like he's almost got your armpit too. And he just goes, you can't be on the field. And I'm like, no, but you don't understand. I tried to, and he goes, you can't be on the field. And he just kept repeating it. And I was like, I understand, man. I know I fucked up. I just want to get out of here. I'm sorry. I d- like, I- I'm not above saying this. It's the closest I've come to crying in front of another man in a long time long time because <laughs> i'm just like i'm really sorry i didn't mean to do this i don't want to fuck this whole day up just let me go to the other side of the thing so i but I, I will say it will say in in the stories that you've told thus far have been a bit self-deprecating in terms of your coverage but well, but this the, is it. The, it, and the this interview is- that you did with kyle williams at the stadium and that's i it. would argue is some of the best work that you've done in your, what is it now? Eight years. Yeah. Do it. Like, and like, this, and this is what I want to talk yeah. about because you were there to witness this. So here I am guys. I'm, I'm at the blue and red. So we're now we're back. We're at the blue and red scrimmage and I'm down in the bills on the sideline in the stadium, which is still surreal. Like I shouldn't be here. And I see Kyle Williams walking across the field and no one's talking to him. Now, if I was a journalist like Thad Brown, I would know that, you can't talk to him because he didn't practice. And that's the team's rule. If they don't practice, they don't talk. But I don't know the fucking rules and I don't care what the clearly, as you could tell from the fucking my my, my boundaries of the, their practice field. I don't know the rules, nor do I care about them. I'm just out here like. <sighs> so I see him and the I only go, rules that, you know, are the ones that they enforce on the fly, like get off the field. Yeah. And then they walk around like at a certain point in practice and say, all right, guys, no more videos like that's those are the rules that, you know, yes. not, the, not the unwritten rules. Exactly. These unwritten rules. I don't understand them and I'm not going to try to abide by them. In that, and then if you tell me about them, I'm still not going to. Someone has to enforce it. So I go over there and I see Kyle Williams and I get my recorder out and I just say, hey, do you have a minute? And he was so happy to talk. So I get into it with him and I start talking to him and Ryan, you came over and now you and Icy are standing there. How quickly did that turn into a full scale media scrum? Yeah. And it was interesting too, because like I went over with every intention of, of getting involved in the questions and I got in there and I was kind of like, I, I don't know, maybe proud is the right word to say it because I was there before you in terms of media credentials. And then, you got them. I knew you really well. And you showed up and you started asking these questions and I'm listening, waiting for my time to get in with my question. And I'm like, man, Drew's doing a really good job. Like if I jump in on a question, I'm going to throw off his game because I felt like you kind of hit like a stride. And I feel like if I would have asked a question, you would have started to kind of like get in your own feelings about what, what was actually happening. So I kind of just let you go. But then I noticed Icy came over and then another guy from the media was like, oh, hey, Kyle's talking. Let me get over here. And before I knew it, you were like leading a media scrum of like 12 guys with microphones in Kyle Williams face. And it was really cool to see. And again, I still maintain that if you have that audio and can tag it somewhere for people yep. to find it easily. Like, I do think it's some of the best stuff that you you've produced so doing your podcast. So I led that conversation and here's what was going through my head. If I let any of these dickheads speak, I'll never get it back. If I yeah. let anybody yeah. else get a word in edgewise, I'll never get this moment back. So sorry, you're not taking this from me. So no one else except for you 
towards the end, you got you asked a question, and then yeah. I immediately jumped back in, and I took this thing to its conclusion. We talked, we talked uh, during it. He called uh, Marcel Darius his work wife. Like there, yep. there was a lot of fun stuff that came out of that conversation, and then he jogged off. And so as we're packing everything up, and I'm my, like I said, my hands are shaking. I'm like, oh my god, that was one of the cool. Like now I've got this insane adrenaline rush. And this guy comes over to me, still has his microphone. The guy with his camera is still following him. And he's like, man, that was awesome. Who, who do you work for? What do you do? What, like he, he couldn't believe that I was just a podcaster because of the way that moment unfolded. Do you know who that was? Thad no, Brown. I don't, I don't know. It was Thad, Thad Brown. Brown. Thad <laughs> Brown was impressed by the job that I did my first time ever interviewing a player. Thad, you've been doing this for how fucking long? That moment underscored for me a couple things. One, what you like, first of all, this is this job that you guys have is incredible. In if you're someone who loves the game of football and loves these players. Two, it tells me what you do isn't that fucking hard. So stop yep. selling it to me like you're moving mountains because you're not. Okay, I came in as a hack off the street and put on a show to the point where you had to come over and congratulate me and ask me who I worked for because you'd never heard my name. And I was just like, that that's fucking wild to look back now and see that Thad Brown is here with this kind of stuff. And we're here doing this, <laughs> especially when he's he's he was the one that stepped in it a couple months back about the local podcasters right like wasn't he yeah. that one made that comment oh yeah. he always does he's he's always got an axe to grind but there again how much of that is sour grapes yeah he loves the big time it's it's just it's hilarious and i think that so for those of you who are listening to this drama get filtered through the local media understand that these are the people we're talking about the guys who are impressed with the way drew gear would show up on day one and do you do do a job those are the guys <laughs> like, oh, man, you did such a killer job. First of all, I did. And that sh that should make you feel bad that me as a rookie. I did that. And you were impressed by it. <laughs> I, also, and I guess if we're going to end this thing, right? I think one of the things that the media here could probably like, like if they were really looking for something to make hay out of would be this thing like, because one of the biggest narratives to come out of this blow up of the Josh Allen McDermott dig saga is the fact that McDermott is like, even though with even with this extension, I think it's why they went public with like, hey, we gave him an extension, guys. We extended the GM and the coach like the contracts had already been signed <laughs> for a while. The team chose now to tell everybody because they were like, hey, let's throw some cold water on this stuff about McDermott being on the hot seat. Like that's that narrative is still floating around out there. In reality, every single coach in the AFCs has something to lose this year. Don't they? Yes. Yeah, for sure. I mean, if you really want to, in fact, I would say there's more pressure on McDermott's divisional counterparts. And you'd know that, if you were petty and vindictive and just hate followed your opponents. So I'm here to do the heavy lifting for you, but I'll walk you through this. There are problems with each one of our divisional opponents in terms of how their head coaches will fare. If this season doesn't go well, 
that isn't getting run in their local media, our local media, national media, the same way that this saga has. And I think it's criminal. First of all, this power struggle that could be brewing in New Jersey. Look at Ty Dunn. I mentioned it earlier that he worked the beat in the Green Bay. And in that time, what he told me is that you had to walk the line. For no other reason than the fact that they had Brett Favre, who was a Hall of Fame quarterback for, I mean, everyone knew what he was when he was there. So you had to handle him a certain way. All of your questions got vetted by the team. Not all of them, but some of them, and they would let you ad-lib a little bit. When Aaron Rodgers made his heel turn, and Ryan, when do you think that was? Like, at what point in his career did he decide that he was going to be a heel I think he really leaned into it the year they took Jordan Love. Like that, that I think was the turning point for him. Okay. Cause that's about when you stopped being able to ask him questions like that were not specifically word for word vetted by the team's PR group. He was like, oh, the local yeah. papers and stuff have to run all their questions by the team first before they're allowed to ask them. That doesn't have any, that, that, the, the coaches don't care. The GM doesn't care. That's one guy's ego. Now, you took a guy whose ego is that fragile and you put him in one of the most vicious media markets in the world and you paired him with a head coach like Robert Sala. I think this is a disaster waiting to happen because when you look at what Robert Sala has been, Ryan, yeah, they've been bad and people go, well, he didn't have a quarterback. They made a lot of mistakes. They've been a sloppy football team, haven't they? Yes, very sloppy. They out sloppied, uh, like we out sloppied them for one game, and we still almost won it if Gabe Davis could have catched that fucking ball. Like, that's it. Gabe Davis catches that pass, even with Josh Allen getting hurt, like, uncorks that ball, and if Gabe can catch it, you're talking about a whole different thing of, oh my God, another year where we got swept by the Bills. It's it's bad. And Robert Sala doesn't have a lot going for him. I mean, rushing offense was good last year, right? They were good. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, they finished 25th in yards. So for all the love that everyone goes, well, they've got a strong rushing attack and they don't care. They finished 25th in yards. I just I, I just want that noted. Twenty fifth in yards, twenty first in touchdowns, twenty fourth in yards per attempt. Ryan, that doesn't sound like a recipe for success. If your thing is we have this super strong rushing attack that's going to save this aging quarterback who's going to use his veteran savvy and our young skill players to get to a Super Bowl, does it? No, I mean he is the he's the definition of a defensive minded head coach. And that tends not to bode well in uh, in today's NFL. Oh, but don't worry. They got Nate Hackett, an offensive coordinator. What could go wrong? Yeah, yeah. What could go wrong? That's right. What could go wrong? And here's the problem for Robert Sala. If this season doesn't go well, they've mortgaged a little bit of their future in the pursuit of Aaron Rodgers. But the bigger problem for Robert Sala is that if you don't win now, that franchise is going to look at you and go, listen, we've given you the thing. 
We gave you the thing that nobody else has, which is a Hall of Fame quarterback. Why can't you win? Mm-hmm. And that's going to become the narrative around his time in New Jersey. If they do not win something significant, that's a division win. It's a it's a playoff win or two. Like making the wild card isn't good enough to save Robert Sala from this fate, is it? No, nope. no. Like they have to be an impactful team this year, and if they're not, Robert Sala is in trouble because you you're talking about a quarterback who knows how to leverage. Like he got Mike McCarthy fired, he did, and they brought in Lafleur, and then Lafleur tried to had some different ideas that he didn't like, and he. I think a weaker organization would have gotten rid of Lafleur and kept Aaron Rodgers, don't you? I think you would always want to keep an Aaron Rodgers over almost any quarterback, yeah, or any any coach. Yeah, so the fact that they didn't tells you what a dick he is behind the scenes. If Robert Sala can't pull off miracles for them this year, there is going to be trouble, and it's all going to rest. Like He's going to be the fall guy for all the things that go wrong with the season, because we've watched it happen where Aaron Rodgers, and if you want to ask Tyler Dunn about it, he'll tell you, that guy cannot take, like, he's infallible. It's not his fault those teams lost. It's not his fault the team that only scored nine points against the, what was it, the 49ers in that snowy playoff game? Like, it's not his fault. He did what he could. It's like, okay, well, Robert, you're tied to this now. And then you look at Miami and you say to yourself, okay, Miami, their coach, I mean, playoffs, you made the playoffs and you broke a drought in your first season. That's pretty good, isn't it, Ryan? Yeah. Yeah. And and if you look at the offensive metrics they put up, the Miami Dolphins offense has never been a robust offense, or at least not during our lifetimes, has it? No. So to look at it and see that they rank you know, fourth in passing yards, fourth in passing touchdowns, 22nd in interceptions, not great. But you know, net yards per attempt, they're the number two team in football. That's crazy. Yet they were just as bad on defense. Now, a lot of that was injury-fueled, but also they lost some critical games down the stretch that forced them to be a wild-card team in the first place. And a lot of it fell to coaching. Just their coach trusting the wrong player at the wrong time, picking the wrong moment to go for it on fourth down, just being overly aggressive when he didn't have to be. You know, or like the Bills game, where they had almost 100 yards. Did they have 100 yards rushing in the first half, and then they only ran eight times in the second? I feel like I Yeah, remember- Mostert was killing them. Yeah, I feel like I remember that. If your coach can't figure out how to strike a good balance with this team, which is why now if they land Delvin Cook, how much does that scare you? Um, I I mean, Delvin Cook doesn't move the needle a ton for me in Miami because, I mean, I, I think we've seen McDaniel's a history of still not using a running back full time. Yes. Like, He's a running back by committee guy like Shanahan. So, I mean, Cook doesn't really move the needle a ton for me. No, and that was the thing. I go, listen, let them sign. Nothing would make me happier than them doing long-term damage to their salary cap to sign a running back to then panic in the fourth quarter and stop using him. Like, that would, nothing would make me happier than to watch the Miami Dolphins do this. 
I think that if they have another season that does not go well, let's say they make the wild card and they lose again. Let's say they win the AFC East and the Bills are the wild card and you lose that game. I don't know. I I think that they I, I don't think just making a home play is a home playoff game a win for them this year. No, I don't think so. No, I think they're in they're they're in like AFC championship game or bust at this point with that roster and that 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 roster is a ticking time bomb in terms of salary. And you've got to figure out what you're going to do a quarterback too. So well, and I mean, that's and the let's thing. Let's not forget able- that we're we're not that far removed from there being like ground rumblings of McDaniel's potentially being in trouble at the end of last year before they backed their way into the playoffs and took the Bills to the wire with a third string quarterback. I mean, there were legitimate rumblings that McDaniels may not last more than a year because, you know, Tom Brady and what can we do at quarterback and, you know, is McDaniels the right guy to, you know, lead this team into the future kind of thing. And, you know, so another season of just barely above mediocrity, that's not going to bode well, I don't think, for a coach who plays for a team where the owner is running out of time. Yeah, that's true. Ross has said, he goes, I bought this team with the in- intent to win a Super Bowl. The fact that he yeah. hasn't, he's getting impatient. because the, the, those, well, and, the, and you're seeing that dynamic between what happened with him and Brian Flores, where you know yeah. he was trying to get Flores to talk to Brady and Flores wouldn't. So Ross talked to Brady and that wound up losing them, getting them into trouble. And, you know, Ross is going rogue against his head coach's wishes. So, you know, I think McDaniels is definitely on the hot seat this season if if things don't go well for that Miami team. So, and then you talk about what happens if you, if let's say you are mediocre, let's say you back into the wild card again, and then you don't make the divisional round or the championship round. You're now another year down the road and you still don't know if you have a quarterback who can win you a title. Well, guess what? You're still going to have to fuck. You're going to have to make a decision now. And you don't have the draft capital or the cap space to do anything drastic to fix it. So now you're in yeah, and real that, trouble. And that, therein lies the problem, right? Because you missed the opportunity to 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 go after Rodgers. Yep. Um. You know, and you know, we talked about this hashtag sports. When I joined the guys, and we talked about the Dolphins. Did a whole pot show on them, but you know, you missed the opportunity for Rodgers. And you look at the free agent crop of quarterbacks next year, and it's not. There's no David Carr in the bunch where it's like, well, we probably are okay with that, right? Like leading the pack is Ryan Tannehill, thirty. <laughs> Whatever year old Ryan Tannehill. Ryan Tannehill returning to the Dolphins would be the greatest fucking thing in my life. <laughs> and there's a lot of teams out there that need a quarterback that are going to draft ahead of Miami too. So, and others that have the draft capital to move up for a quarterback where Miami doesn't. So they're they're in some they're in some trouble because they've hitched their wagon to Tua Tagovailoa and Mike White, and they don't really have a plan B if one of those two guys doesn't work out this season. And then there's the silver tuna. There's the Bill Belichick. Everybody looks at Bill Belichick as the institution of coaching for good reason, right? Like he's on his way to being the winningest head coach of all time. The Super Bowl championships, nobody can take that away from him, even if he is a dirty cheater and he just has a dumb face. He looks like that broad from Mama, uh, throw Mama from the train. Like if you put a wig on him, he looks like her. He's just, he's a mess. And I, I'm not shocked he's divorced because he's a curmudgeon and all he cares about is football. 
Like, that's it. That's all. That's his life. And now his son's in on it, and his son looks like Joe Dirt, and he's just as stupid looking as he is. I hate them both. I hope, I hope an airplane falls out of the sky onto their home tonight. I just hope they're not in it. Like, I hope that they have to come home and see that. Like, that's what I want for both of them. So with that in mind, I look at this and I say to myself, Bilicek, what do you have? Because when they were talking, like, Boston media was interviewing the, the Robert Kraft, the owner of the Patriots. And they go, what's, what's your focus on? Like, what, where is your mindset going into the season? He goes, number seven. I want another ring. Because you're talking about an owner who's getting up there in age, and he's still, like, he has an ego. He's competitive. Mm-hmm. He's also watched his team flounder ever since the, you know, it was one of those situations. Like, we always talked about it. He loved Tom, and he loved Bill. Those were the guys who made his franchise worth the shit. Now, he had to pick between them. And unfortunately, he picked Belichick. And didn't you just say a few minutes ago, most franchises wouldn't pick the coach over the Hall of Fame quarterback? Yeah. Yeah. The Patriots did. How have they done since then? They're exactly where they belong, as far as I'm concerned. (laughs) I love it. Nothing makes me happier. Nothing makes me happier. They're they're right where a team who picks the coach over the Hall of Fame quarterback should be. And that's uh, in the cellar of their division. And so now the problem is you have a, a an owner who's like, look, I'm running out of time to field another competitive football team, and I don't want to be the owner of the Browns. I don't want to be Jimmy Haslam for the last eight years of my NFL ownership. So this team has to figure it out or else I have to figure it out. And somebody in the local media there in Boston, I, I've been drinking. I can't think of it off the top of my head, but asked the question. They were like, what happens if that does if you don't reach the Super Bowl? What happens if you don't? What what goes on with Bill? And he goes, hopefully we don't have to answer those questions. <laughs> hopefully that this isn't a thing. The thing is, is he's not dumb. He knows Bill Belichick is going to stick around and try to chase Don Shula's record. Right? Mm-hmm. I think he needs 19 more victories to do it. 19 or 20, but it doesn't matter because that's multiple seasons. Well, you're not going to get that in New England if you don't produce a winner. Now, the question I had for you is, he's is Belichick a guy who, if he gets, when he inevitably departs from the Patriots, it's going to happen, whether it's voluntary or involuntary, does he have the gravitas to go to another franchise, a rebuilding team, and say, hey, I still have a little bit left in the tank? If he's making an ego play and all he wants to do is salvage that, like, hey, I can win enough games to tie Shula. Do you think that if the Patriots were to fire him for another subpar season, because let's face it, he's got Mac Jones. Even if they sign DeAndre Hopkins, I don't care what Mike Tannenbaum from ESPN thinks. It's a laughable idea that they're, what, they're the best in the division because they got Yeah, he's had the best team in the division if they get Hopkins. Holy fuck. That guy. They should drug test him. So... I guess the question is if it doesn't go that way and Kraft really is forced to go in a different direction at head coach, does Bilicek have a home on a different football team? Like yeah. you, Some, somebody somebody will give him a job so that he can come in and win and, and break Shula's record. Somebody somebody will, will take that chance on him. I, you know, it'll be who knows, right? I mean, it'll be Houston. It'll be 
Arizona. It'll be one of those teams where, you know, we're a couple of years away. Let's bring this guy in, try to establish a culture at the very least. Maybe we can win some football games, get him the record. That's a rah-rah for our fans, season ticket sales, things like that. Um, somebody will bring him in. And, and I think the interesting, the interesting thing about New England is they're in a very similar situation to Miami with their quarterback situation where you've got one more year of Mac Jones and then you've got to decide on that fifth year option. After this year, because yep. he's on his the third year of his rookie deal, so after this year, you've got to decide: Am I gonna? Are we gonna pick up that fifth year option? You see what happened in New York when the Giants didn't pick up Daniel Jones's option, and now they're paying him whatever obscene number that they're paying for Daniel fucking Jones. But that you're in that situation with with New England. So the question that you have to ask yourself if you're um, Robert Kraft is. If I don't know at the end of this year if Mac Jones is the guy, do I really want Bill Belichick to be the guy that picks my next the guy? Or is that where I do a changing of the guard? New coach, new GM, pick your guy at quarterback and let's rebuild this thing and start from scratch. I think that's where it becomes really interesting regardless of the mediocrity or where the team finishes. Because I think if Kraft had his his druthers, he would let Belichick break the record in New England, right? So if he goes out and wins 10 games this year, doesn't make the playoffs or maybe makes the wild card, whatever, I think he would let him come back for one more year. Now, if he goes out and wins nine or 10 games and Mac Jones is eh, and you've got to make a decision at the quarterback position, that's where I think things get a little interesting because Kraft, I don't think is going to want Belichick to pick the next quarterback of the New England Patriots potentially for the next four years because I think we're all pretty clear that Belichick's going to retire after he breaks Shula's record. Like that, that season, he's going to be gone. He's getting up there in age and things like that. So that, I mean, New England's going to be really interesting to watch as the season wanes on this year. It's, it's definitely something, but so isn't it funny that the media is talking about McDermott being on the hot seat and in reality being handed an extension literally means that he's the most secure person in the AFC East. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I've been on your show and I've been on other shows where I've I've gone on my fair share of rants about about Sean McDermott and where I feel that the team needs to be with him. Um, but everything that they've done over the last season or so has indicated that they are not on the same page with me, which, you know, let's be honest, they probably shouldn't be right. Like I'm, I'm a man who gets in my own emotions about a football team and, and I, I drink and I get, you know, my, my lips get open too much, but, <laughs> um, you know, but, but they're very much not in the same vein as I am. And, and Pagula has made a pretty conceited effort to not pay coaches to go away in his, in his time as owner yes. of the Sabres and the bills. Um, he's not a guy who likes to throw good money after bad. So, you know, the fact that they're signed through, I think, what is it, 2027 now? Um, yes. I think it's it's safe to say that there's a few more years of Sean McDermott, right, wrong, or indifferent, good, bad, or ugly, um, for Buffalo Bills fans to to get excited about. Um, whether you're excited about it or not, I'm not. But, you know, who knows? I, I hope that I'm wrong. Um, but I, I don't think there's anything that, that this organization has done that leads me to believe that Sean McDermott has any concern over his job in the next couple seasons no matter what the thad browns of the world might have you believe 
Guys, this yeah. has been a lot of fun. Yeah. This has been a lot of fun, but we got to get the hell out of here. Uh, Ryan, where can people find you and where can they find your appearances over on Hashtag Sports? Yeah, so I'm at Ryan Lasel underscore RSN on uh, Twitter. I am at Ryan Lasel on threads. So make sure you check out threads now. I have to start dropping that. Uh, Drew, I know you do yeah. too as well. Um, well, Chris set it up. That. I had no idea. People were tweeting about it, and I'm like, what the fuck is threads? I woke up, hung over, looked at my phone, was just like, Jesus Christ. There's a new thing. Ah, <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, rebel, rebel, rebel. rebel. New, uh, Shake my hey, fist in another- the air. Arumph. Another Arumph. thing that you can take a uh, another thing you can take a flamethrower to when this all goes goes south and you ride off into the sunset. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm at, at Ryan Lacel underscore RSN on Twitter at Ryan Lacel on Threads. Um, you can check me out on hashtag Sports. We go live every Sunday night, um, and then there's videos that get posted throughout on throughout the week on YouTube as well. We just did something really fun where we did a fantasy football draft of only uh, players who have never won a Super Bowl. Uh, that got really interesting, really fun. Some Bills talk in there as well. Uh, so make sure you check that out because the guys over at Hashtag are doing a lot of cool stuff. And I'm excited that they've brought me on board to be a more regular contributor. Um, and then you can hear me whenever Drew loses his sanity enough to to have me to have me out, hopefully, um, more this season. As we learn more about the new stadium, we can continue that series. And yes. always a great time because I know your fan base is a great fan base, and I always love having conversations with them on Twitter, which tends to pick up after I'm on your show. So looking forward to it. Guys, I love it. We love it. But for tonight, we got to get the hell out of here. I'm Drew Gear. That's Ryan Lacell. This has been the Rock Power Report from my basement. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.